come with me, we're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Cruising. I am Matt. And I'm Kimbra. And we hope everybody is doing fantastic out there. Look, before we get into this episode, I just want to put a little reminder out there. We have our vlogs coming out right now on Fantastic Studios over on YouTube. If you're not familiar, go to YouTube, search Fantastic Studios, or just go to the link that is in this episode and uh, watch our vlogs because we are almost done with them. We've got... We've got the first two days, and we've got Grand Cayman, we've got Cozumel, lots of good stuff. If you like the underwater stuff, if you like the cruise creatures, they are in abundance in these vlogs. So check them out. If you do that, make sure that you subscribe to the channel, hit the bell so you get notified when new videos come out. And don't forget to leave us a comment and let us know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. And we still have more videos to come, right, Matt? We do. We have at least one more video that's going to recap the last day at sea and uh, maybe a little bit of disembarkation. I don't even remember if we filmed on disembarkation day, actually. But uh, And then we have a ship tour that we'll be putting out as well. Also, the videos that we have have some highlights from our scuba dive, but we will be doing a full scuba dive video with lots and lots of of information about the fish and animals that we saw. So at least three more videos to come. That is correct. Sounds cool. Well, we're going to kick off this episode with a little bit of listener mail. If you have emails for us, questions, comments, stories, tips, anything like that, send them our way, fantasticcruising at gmail.com, and we will most likely talk about it or read it on this podcast. Now, we have an email from one of our one of our favorite email contributors today, Andrew. And Kimber, what, what does Andrew have to tell us? So Andrew was talking about packing and travel, which is probably something that we're going to talk about a little bit in this episode. So it's perfect timing for him to have sent that. Um, but he says basically some, some tips about packing. So he uses little um, small toiletry bottles that he gets from like Walmart and other other grocery stores like that, um, that he refills with larger bottles. So they're already travel size and he doesn't have to worry about, you know, planes and sizes and all that stuff. And that's a good idea because a lot of times if you buy the travel sized items, you're paying a lot more per ounce, per portion, whatever. But if you buy these bottles, they're fairly inexpensive. And then you just have the bigger bottle. You know, we do the same thing now with like other stuff. You buy a huge bottle of, say, hand soap and you can fill little bottles of hand soap. It's the same thing. And then you can also reuse those over and over again, which I like because it's less single use plastic. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really good tip. I actually did that a little bit um, for a couple things for the cruise that we just went on. Um, the other thing that he says is when he's going through his packing list and there's something that he doesn't have quite ready to be packed, like clothes that are still in the laundry or chargers, he actually like writes that down on like a piece of junk mail and puts it like 
in in its place in the luggage like sticking out so when he's you know finalizing his packing the next morning he'd be like oh i need to grab that because i don't need this piece of junk mail i need this charger instead can we just call andrew the packing guru Andrew, that's your new nickname. You are the packing guru because he has brought us a wealth of tips and information about packing. That is brilliant because that is always something I struggle with. I I don't want to put certain things into my packed bags because I'm going to be using them right up to the day of travel. But then I'm always paranoid. I'm going to forget to put something in there. This is a good way to do that. And once again, environmentally friendly using that stupid junk mail that we can't get rid of and uh, putting it to use. So I I like it. Now, he also, uh, a few episodes back, gave us a great tip about making your packing checklist. And then not just doing that, but when you get back, kind of revisiting it and seeing what you didn't actually need or what you wish you would have brought but didn't think of and keeping that as like a living document rather than reinventing it every single cruise which is what i've always done Uh, so that was pretty cool and we decided to take a look at our packing list and see if there was anything that we wish we wouldn't have brought or didn't need to bring or that we wish we would have brought and didn't bring and uh we did pretty good actually We did. Absolutely. So there were a couple things when I was going through that we didn't necessarily use this cruise. Um, But I I think that leaving them on there might be a good idea for the next cruise anyways. Like one of those items was the power bank. We didn't need it for this particular cruise, but I do feel like that's like something to have. So maybe it's one of these things where you put that in a side category and then the next two or three cruises, you see if you still didn't use it. And if you still didn't use it, then you go, okay, I don't need this power bank anymore. But if you do, then you put you move it back into the necessity group. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's like, like for the power bank thing, I know I've used it in past cruises. So it's not something, like I said, that we use this cruise, but I know I've used it before. Something you're banking on. Yeah. Or you will be banking on. Make a withdrawal. You don't want to make a withdrawal from your suitcase on that <laughs> yet. So anyway, that that was pretty cool. And, and uh, yeah, we did. But we did do pretty good. I, I, I will chalk that up to having cruised enough that I've sort of honed my my packing skills and kind of know. Now, one of the things I still do often is I will overpack in the in the shirt department. I usually I'm okay with everything else, but I usually have more shirts than I need because I'm always just worried. I'm like, how many shirts am I going to wear each day? I think on this cruise though, I went through almost all of my shirts. So um, I, I'm at that level where I need to be careful that I don't underpack because underpacking shirts is worse to me than overpacking shirts because then I'm walking around in stinky shirts and then Kimber won't want to be by me or anything. That's for sure. <laughs> but I do the same thing with dresses. I actually... You I need think, to address that. <laughs> I think I think I did good this time. Usually I have like four too many dresses and I think maybe there's only one that I didn't wear this time. So cool. I did all right. Yeah. Uh, another thing that that I came up with that I thought was I thought it was clever and uh, it's based on, on an issue that we had has to do with uh, your tech. So you've got all these cameras, video cameras, if you're, if you're vloggers, but I think most people have some sort of camera, video camera when they go on a cruise. Actually, let me know. Uh, I'm curious. Let me know. Do you, are you one of those rare people that don't video or 
take photographs on a cruise. Anyway, um, well, I brought memory cards. We had plenty of memory cards, but we did it. We didn't use them very well. So what I did is I, I have like bigger memory cards and medium sized memory cards and small memory cards. And, uh, and what happened was I used a big memory card on the first day. We didn't film a lot. I used it on the second day. We didn't film a lot. And then I was forced to sort of use a smaller memory card on like the, the diving day and stuff. So what ended up happening is I ended up with multiple days on the same cards, which is not ideal when you're going through to edit them. So what I thought of, and maybe other people have thought of this, but I hadn't. So what I thought of is actually labeling these memory cards in some way. So you have what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do in the future. I'm going to have a memory card for every single day of the cruise. And, uh, and if it's a big cruise where I know I'm going to be filming a ton, I may even have one for an excursion or, or off on the Island and one for on the ship. But that way I'm going to keep all the data separate and, uh, and safe. And, and that'll make it easier. I think to, when I get back to organize it, sort through it and make sure I've got everything. Cause what happens when you go to edit, if you're a vlogger, you go to edit stuff and, uh, and you're either, you either go, Oh, I know I filmed this, but I don't know where it is. Or you totally forget you filmed something. And then you've already released day three video and you're editing day five and you go, Oh, this should have been in day three video. It would have been really cool. So that would eliminate that. And when you have multiple cameras going like an example, for example, Kimbra and I are both filming now quite a bit. Um, that makes it even more confusing because you're definitely dealing with at least two memory cards for each day. But if we have one per day, I think that's going to make our lives a lot less hectic when it comes to the editing portion. And less stressful. That's a really good idea, Matt. We're going to have to buy more memory cards, I think. That's okay. You know, because uh, we have quite a few and they go on sale sometimes. So watch for those memory card sales. Black Friday is usually a good day to get memory cards. Yeah. Matt, but the emails aren't over. We also got one from Scott, the Professor Travel. The Professor Travel. If you guys haven't checked him out, he has a website, theprofessortravel.com. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got a podcast. He's all over the place. And uh, he also is one of our regular email contributors. Thank you so much, Scott, for your emails. This one, he wanted to really talk about our topic last week, which was the Royal Caribbean Carnival Smackdown. I think I say it in a different order every time I say it. It's the Carnival Royal Caribbean Smackdown. It's the Royal Caribbean Carnival. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, he says you made some excellent points with both Royal Caribbean and Carnival. Uh, I wanted to throw in one more highlight from both I think is worth noting. For Royal, the soups are really innovative. I remember going on, this is going to date you, Scott. I remember going on the Empress of the Seas in 1996. Scott was only five years old in 19... No, I'm just, I'm just doing you a favor. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't five years old. Kimber probably was. Uh, no, in I was a little older than that. All right, all right, whatever. And anyway, Empress of the Seas, 1996. What stood out to me was an artisanal cold blueberry soup and pistachio soup. I hear people rave about the strawberry bisque. So this is a tick mark for Royal for me. Now, I'm. it's funny you said that, Scott, because when we read your email, um, it occurred to me that one of the things that I really love on Carnival is they have, they have these cold soups. They have a strawberry one. Uh, they have a few. They have a peach one. And my favorite, they have a mango one. Oh, I love that mango cold soup. It's so good. And I didn't see those on Royal Caribbean. So I don't know... If they took them off or if we just missed them, um, they do have some really good soups, though. They're, 
their French onion soup is really good. That mushroom soup mm. that we had was delicious. So definitely Royal Caribbean is doing some some service with their soups out there. Uh, but I want to see more of those chilled soups. You you made me you made me want the mango soup. Anyway, he also said I, I uh, let's see get back here for Carnival. You already mentioned a low price point, which MSC and Costa 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 I don't know has as well. Uh, but the carnival shines above the others. I mentioned it is a great starter cruise. That's where it, he says that's where it shines. It's a great starter cruise. And this is why he thinks that uh, for those who have never experienced cruising before, it strikes me as not only a good value, but good middle ground with customer service, food and destination. Carnival wins me over on that. And I, I agree with you, Scott. Uh, I think Carnival is a great starter cruise, especially if you are uh, younger. And by younger, I mean I don't know, below 65. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put, you know, I mean, a lot of people, I'm going to retract that because I don't, I don't want to put age groups on cruise lines, but if you are a younger person without a huge amount of funds to spend on a cruise, your first cruise, you want to test the waters, then Carnival, I think is a wonderful line to test it on. And you are going to get a good solid experience. And if you like Carnival, then you know, that may be all you want. That may be all you need, but you could also try some of these other lines, spend a little bit more money and uh, see if those perks are worth it for you. So great point, Scott. Thank you so much for your emails this week. Once again, the professor travel. Okay, Matt, I think it's time that we jump into the cruise creature. Ooh, that was a fun new sound. It it was. That's our new cruise creature intro jingle. Yeah, we've been talking about doing it for a while and we decided to do it. And there it is. Hey, let us know if you like it or if you don't like it with an email. FantasticCruising at gmail.com. Yeah, absolutely. So since it's obviously cruise creature time because we have that new jingle, what is the cruise creature? It is a, an animal that we saw on our cruise and it's an animal that i sometimes see right outside of the aquarium as a matter of fact and uh you want to tell everybody what it's called you see these right outside the aquarium well in the in the water oh okay so like okay if you've ever gone to the port in tampa where the ships port where they dock i should say um there there's a a world war ii museum ship that is directly behind the aquarium. And so, so ships dock behind that and in front of that, and there's another space. But anyway, uh, I go down right between where the cruise ship and the World War II aft is, and I pull water out of there from time to time to do plankton labs with kids. And we look for plankton. And uh, I see these in that, in that area right there. I, sometimes I scoop them up. Ooh, that's really cool. I'm surprised that you can see them from that far away. I usually can't. I just I just grab them on accident. Okay. So I guess we should tell everyone it is, what it is. So it is a tinafore. Yes. Yeah, spelled with a C, which is weird, right? C-T-E-N-E-P-H-O-R-E-S. Tinafore. And uh, what's, what's a more easy name to call these guys by? A comb jelly. Which is really just some of the tinafores are comb jellies. But we're, so we're going to talk a little bit about tinafores and a little bit more specifically about comb jellies, which even that is a class of animals. So when I say a class of animals, 
that's like all the squid, octopus, cuttlefish, and chambered nautilus is one class. So this is a this is a pretty generic group, but a big group of animals. And uh, when when I was in high school, I took a zoology class and I learned all the taxonomy. So you you know the King Philip called on fifty good soldiers. That's what what we learned, which is kingdom, phylum, uh, class, family genus order species no that's that's wrong that was way out of order (laughs) uh kingdom phylum class order family genus species there you go wow good job matt (laughs) and when we're talking about animals usually we're talking about individual species sometimes even subspecies so like for example if we're talking about great white sharks we're talking about carcaridon carcarius which is the genus and species. A human would be Homo sapien. Homo is genus, sapien is the species. So when we're talking about tenophores, that's a whole phylum. But when I was in high school in zoology and I learned all these things originally, um, there was a new, there was a different phylum, not a new phylum, a different phylum called Solinerata, and it included all of the jellyfish, all of the coral, all of the sea anemones, and all of the comb jellies and tenophores. And then, as science does, we, we learn more about these animals. And now we're getting into a lot of the mitochondrial DNA and just the genetic testing. And we learn more about who's related to who and how closely they're related. Turns out we had to separate those guys. So now there is no Selenerata. Now it is broken into two phylums, which is Tenophora and Nadaria. And Nadaria is all those other guys, jellyfish and Portuguese man-of-war and sea anemones and coral and then all the comb jellies and, and a few other tenophores are in the tenophora group. That's a lot of information, right? That is. Thank you for the taxonomy lesson. <laughs> so they're really interesting animals because they are super, super simple. They have like three cell walls. They're basically see-through. So you said you, you're surprised I could see them because they're, they're translucent for the mm-hmm. most part. They do have sort of, well, some species have like an iridescence, the one that we had, which we think is what called the sea walnut or something like that. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we're, we're not even 100% sure that's the individual species that we have seen, but uh, but they're sort of shaped like a egg, I guess you could say. Or a walnut. A, or a walnut. I guess that would be more appropriate. And, uh, and they have an iridescence, so kind of a rainbowy color to them. Some of their deep sea relatives actually have bioluminescence who can glow. And the, stuff. This one does too. Does it? Yeah, I read it in the book. Oh, cool. Okay, there you go. So, so these guys, if you're in the right conditions and you get them to move, you might see that glow. And it comes from all sorts of creatures, many of them very small, like our, our friend the comb jelly. And now, these guys are predators, they're out there hunting food, which is weird because they don't even have a brain. They don't. They have a neural net, and they they that is very simple. Jellyfish have the same thing: no brain in these animals, but they kind of swim around, and they have some little tentacles that, that drag behind them, and uh, and and they're sticky, so they don't sting you like a jellyfish. Although there is one tenophore that eats jellyfish and then uses the stinging cells for itself. But that's not what we're talking about here. And, uh, and, and these, so little things stick to it. And you got to think these are small things because this, this comb jelly, I should say, what would you compare it to? It's about the size of maybe a, an egg. Yeah, about an egg. Not it's, the size of a walnut. What was it, like two to three inches or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, 
So what it's eating is basically the plankton that I'm looking for in my plankton lab. It's eating little virtually microscopic or microscopic creatures. It just, they're sticking to the tentacles and then they're going into the mouth of this animal. And once it gets into the mouth, then it has digestive enzymes in the pharynx that just breaks it down and they're able to get the, the nutrients from their food. And then they take little bits of waste and they go through, they poop them out through their anal pores. But that's just a little bit. Most of it, they just regurgitate it right back up through their mouth. Gross. I mean, you know, they probably think we're gross. They're like, you keep all that down in your stomach? I don't know what they think. <laughs> they don't think. They have a neural net. They don't have a brain. But these animals are fairly common. And uh, the ones that I usually see that I think Kimber usually sees, they're near the surface. So uh, you might be swimming around, snorkeling. You're going to see them snorkeling a lot. And, uh, and all of a sudden you see this kind of clear egg walnut shape thing floating in the water. It could be a tinafore. It could be a comb jelly, which they're, by the way, they're called comb jellies because they have uh, cilia, which are little whip-like thread things that they use to move. They are the largest animal that uses cilia. Isn't that silly? Really? <laughs> I'm trying to think of another word that rhymed. And, <laughs> uh, and, and so they, they just, they swim around and they eat stuff and then they make baby comb jellies. It's what they do. It's, it's what they're all about. Now, the, the thing is, when you see one of these, you might mistake it for a jellyfish. And, uh, and it might scare you a little bit if you're afraid of those sorts of things. Did You saw some of these when we were snorkeling in both Grand Cayman and Cozumel, correct? Yes, I saw, I saw them in Grand Cayman. And the first thing I thought was, ooh, that's cool. And then I thought, hmm, what is that? Did you think it was a jellyfish? I didn't. I actually thought it was a tinafore, but I didn't know enough about tinafores to be like, should I move away from that? So popped up out of the water and I said, hey, Matt. <laughs> That's right. We actually have that on video a little bit. You asked me if they if they could be in the area. Yes. I said, would tinafores be here? And, and I said, yes. You said yes. And I said, will they sing me? And I said, no. So then I went back and looked at them. Which was not 100% true because if it was that species that eats jellyfish, they could sting you, but that would be highly unlikely. And so the tinafores that we saw cannot sting you. Now, here's, here's a little lesson, though. The last time I was in Grand Cayman, before this last time, the time before last I was in Grand Cayman, I saw what I thought was a tinafore, and I reached out to sort of I wasn't really going to try to touch it. I was just trying to kind of wave it towards me so maybe I could capture it on film. And as I went to do that, I realized that it wasn't a tinafore. It was a jellyfish. And it wasn't just any jellyfish. It was a box jelly. Now, box jellies can pack a what? A wallop. That's right. They can pack quite a wallop. Now, they're not the same box jellies that you get in Australia. Those, those are can be potentially very dangerous, but they will ruin your day. And maybe you're a few days. So um, I almost reached out and, and it had longer tentacles. And I almost reached out and I probably would have got stung. And that would have been unfortunate. So if you see something that's clear flowing through the water, swimming through the water, um, maybe don't try and wave at it like I did. Uh, maybe just give it a little distance until you are sure that you can identify it. And then you can kind of move it around a little bit if you're trying to get a good picture or video, although it is hard to get. It's hard to capture something that's clear in the water. 
Yeah. Well, so the other thing is I saw I saw a couple that were kind of separated, but I saw like they were in a big group, like there were a bunch of them. Yeah. Now, I don't know what you call a group of tinafores or comb jellies. A group of jellyfish, you call that a, a smack, a smack. Yeah, smack uh, or a bloom, but um, but they do bloom. And what a bloom, basically, when we say bloom, we're talking about a group of animals that suddenly has a reproductive bloom, like uh, red tide. When red tide becomes a problem, it's because it's an algae bloom and other algaes bloom as well. And so do jellyfish and so do comb jellies. And uh, there's there's actually some comb jellies in the world that have caused problems to the fishing industry because... They uh, they bloomed. I think they were invasive species, and they ate a lot of the little crustaceans and the fish as larvae, and um, disrupted the whole ecosystem. So just like everything else, they can they can be bad. Now sometimes there are jellyfish that eat comb jellies, and there are comb jellies that eat jellyfish, or I should say, tinafores eat jellyfish. So there are other situations where there'll be a, a bloom of jellyfish that wipes out all the tinafores or a bloom of tinafores that wipes out all the jellyfish, depending on who is who in that particular scenario. That was a very confusing back and forth. <laughs> Here's the thing that to think about though. Imagine this, Th- this is to us, it's not very scary because it's literally like two to three inches in size. But imagine if you were that planktonic, crustacean or shrimp or something and you're swimming in the ocean and these are just these to them huge gelatinous blobs that basically can barely swim but kind of clumsily move through the water and just catch things on these sticky tendrils and then eat you like that's that's like a slow motion monster attack that sounds awful. Right? Right? And then and then I'm sure it's a very slow death. Like they get pulled in with the tentacles and or actually I don't even know they get pulled in. They just kind of have to aim the mouth and swim towards the food. And then you go into the pharynx and you are slowly digested while you are stuck to the walls of this animal's insides. And you can see the outside because it's clear. <laughs> Wow. It's not, it's, it's not a, I'm not painting a pretty picture, am I? No, but it's, it's like going through an elevator, like the glass elevator that slowly dissolves your body. Yes. That's a terrifying thought, but yes, yes that's pretty accurate. So, uh, so fascinating creatures, the comb jellies, the tinafores. If you're ever out anywhere, you could be anywhere, Florida, Caribbean, uh, they exist in other parts of the world as well, but they're all saltwater. Keep an eye out for these comb jellies, these tinafores. Absolutely. They were really cool. So last week, we talked a lot about the technology with Royal Caribbean and Carnival and how well the app works and how well it doesn't work. And we thought we would check in with Mary Miller about the Princess Cruise Line and how they use the medallion. So Mary, thanks for joining us again. You are a Princess Cruiser and there's a big mystery out there of this medallion that they keep talking about on Princess. That's probably technology we're going to see on the other cruise lines, probably in the near future. But I don't completely understand how it works. So can you enlighten us on the medallion? What's that all about? Do you like it? All that sort of thing. Well, I kind of, I, I was jokingly calling it, it's kind of like your 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 cruise card on steroids. Hmm. And, and the interesting thing is, Princess has such a, a higher age demographic 
that it is kind of interesting that they're bringing this kind of technology on with, you know, okay, boomers and above, (laughs) Um, you know, which in a lot of cases, you saw people like staring at their phones the whole time because you have an app that you load onto your phone that has the ability to tell you what the activities are on the ship. You still get your little princess patter, but you know, you also have the ability and that app can run kind of slow. The internet on the, on the ship that I was on was awesome. I mean, I'm doing live feeds and all that stuff. But then when you have, you know, you're trying to bring up the app to see what time does the show start in the the theater, you know, it can, it can load a little slow. Um, It also, you know, you could order drinks and room service pretty much. um, You could order your room service. You could order a drink from that can be delivered to you in most of the ship. Like for instance, I can't Hmm. find you in the princess theater. That's, you know, 400 right. people are trying to find one person to give them their Mai Tai. Um, <laughs> but the, the interesting thing, it's only about the size of a quarter. Hmm. And, and this is where it came into that I found was humorous because I just love watching the human condition. The print on it, it has your name on it and everything. And it's the color of whatever your status is at the time you board. So mine, since I was Ruby, it was red. But it has your name and your sailing on it but it's like in four point font. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, don't they realize this is the large print edition type of people? <laughs> and it, what really came um, made it funny is when it came time to leave the ship because it would scan, you know, you tap it and it would show a picture of you to this, you know, and a lot of times somebody has gotten their wives, you know, they've got the wrong medallions, <laughs> And, you know, because you can't read them. I jokingly said they're tracking us like gazelles on the Serengeti. <laughs> but, and you, when you'd walk up to any venue, be a restaurant or the photo place or the store or whatever, you know, if somebody's there at the station, or, you know, or the cashier or whatever, they knew exactly who you were because oh, they right. see your picture, you know, because they're coming. It's, you know, it's, it's Big Brother on a, on a cruise ship. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's other things they can do. There, trust me, there's a revenue generation portion of it, too as far as even the food and drink, but also you could like gamble on it. You like, could, instead of going to the casino, you could gamble on your phone with your medallion in huh. wherever. Interesting. You, can, you could watch all this, you know, uh, programming that they would have that you could also get on demand in your rooms. Um, you know, they have a, a, a relationship with discovery Right. Um, you know, channel and all that. And so you could watch these things on your phone, which I don't know why anybody would, you could watch them in your room. Right. Um, I'm not going on a cruise to watch a TV show on my phone. That's <laughs> called Netflix. And I yeah. can do that at home. <laughs> um, but it, it does give you a way. You can also keep track of your, you know, your onboard account. But when you ask for your, um, to track your expenses, all it does is just download onto your device uh, a PDF that you then have to open in Kindle or something to read, uh, you know, or you can go to one of the little stations and scan your little, you know, put tap your, you know, like a tap card with a credit card. You just kind of right. tap it on the station and it would print out what your, your account is and everything. So it was a little disconcerting when you'd walk up to customer service to like ask about something or do something and they immediately knew who you were, um, you know, and it's not because you had a name tag on it's because again, you're being tracked like a gazelle. So um, so, so you have it and it, you could use that. They, you said they do give you a card still. No, no they do no. not. They, they, okay. 
they, when you are on a medallion ship, you do not. Now, you don't have to do all the whiz bang stuff. You could just right. use it as your, it also is your room key. And as right. you walk close to your door, it unlocks your door. Okay. And so you, you don't even have to, I mean, I didn't even wear mine around my neck. I just kept it in my little cross little bag that I would carry, my little cross bag when I was on the ship or in my pocket. And so, you know, you got close and it would unlock the door for you. So you don't even have to like swipe it up uh-uh. near the door. You just get near it and it unlocks it. You just get it. near it and it would trigger. Oh. Um, Interesting. Yeah, most people wore it around their neck. Um, like I said, I kept mine in my purse. You could get, of course, the other, you could buy extra stuff to uh, wear it around your neck on a necklace or on a wrist thing. Or you could get, even if you kept it in the little plastic medallion, you know, carrier that comes with it, uh, you could even buy little cards that, you know, you know, said I'm from Canada or something, you know, the kind of fill in the little plastic space. I just took what they had and, and stuck some Jane Austen stickers on mine because I, <laughs> so I decorated my own, um, you know, cause that's, you know, that's what I do, but it was, it was interesting, but I, I find it interesting that they're trying this technology on the demographic that is what most of their cruisers are. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, I guess maybe their attitude is if it works on them, <laughs> it'll work. Maybe, and there is something to be said about that. Maybe uh, they even get a limited amount of people who are using it to, its fullest potential. So for most people, they're just dealing with, you know, just the, the basic functions, then they have a certain few that are, so maybe they're, maybe that's how they're testing it out or. Well, you know, and I'm sure that there's some, you know, something to be said about, uh, well, you know, we, maybe at some point this will replace the princess pattern, which it won't because too many people want these as souvenirs of their trip. It, there's so much more information that's besides the schedule that's in the princess pattern. For those who say, well, they're trying to be eco-friendly because they want to cut down on paper waste. Well, trust me, every time I went into my room, there was flyers from <laughs> this shop or this thing or that thing. So they're never going to eliminate the paper. No. Um, but I think a lot of it is just tracking. And I'm sure there's some aspect of customer service to it. Yeah. So they kind of they can kind of build a file of to your favorites and kind of cater to that. But um, it was funny when you know, people are trying to leave the ship and they've got the wrong medallions. So it didn't seem to bother them. I also saw this happen in the shops. It didn't seem to bother them um, in the shops. They were still happy to like charge your account, even if you happen to have your husband's thing and you're scanning your husband's. Yeah, they they didn't have any problems that. It got real picky though when you're going in and off the boat. Right. (laughs) Now, is it, do you know if it's waterproof? Oh yeah. Is it, is it, like depth proof like i'm just thinking of like scuba diving with it uh you know that i i don't know um I'm, i wouldn't be surprised if it's not because it's pretty much you know encased it literally is the size of a of a quarter yeah um and it's only good for that for that sailing and you know once you're done it's pretty much it's deactivated and it's just like okay. a nice little souvenir i guess you could you know glue a magnet to it and stick it on the fridge with the rest of your magnets I'll have to find out if I go on a princess cruise, if I go scuba diving. Because that's always like, I'm always worried about losing my card or whatever. I feel like maybe I'd feel a little more secure with that if I could put it in a wrist thing or slide it in a pocket. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be. Well, the wrist thing that they have, that you know, it just basically, it's a magnet and just kind of clicks in. Oh, okay. I, I, don't, I don't know if I would trust that, no. you know, going down <laughs> in the depths. Um, you know, you still want to, because you're still going to need it to get back on the boat, you know, because yeah, they're yeah, going to scan you, and it's just like you do with the, 
the old cards and stuff. Um, and, you know, and of course people get confused because I think they did a poor service as far as their labeling it because you have the medallion and then you have medallion net, which is the internet that mm. you buy. Okay. And people get confused with the terminology. They probably should have come up with a different name or something um, just so that, you know, you, you, but you know, I just have the phone. I, I do everything on my smarty smartphone. I don't have leisure tech as they call it. You know, I'm not <laughs> going to carry a phone and a tablet and this and laptop. And I can't do it on my cell phone. It's just, you know, my smarty smartphone, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, so you, you can use the phone, you can do all these things with it, but, um, but you don't have to. So it's, it sounds like it's, it's got some perks to it. Like you, do you prefer it to the old cards or what, what's your take on it? it? You know, it, it was handy. Um, they certainly want to encourage you to do it like your first drink that you can order um, using, cause you don't have to have the internet package right. to use the medallion. Um, you know, you can download the app onto your phone. You put your phone in airplane mode, obviously. And you can tap into the medallion for stuff. And like they would encourage you, like the first drink you order is on them. It's like under 12 Mm. bucks and they'll find you and deliver it to you. Um, You can order room service on it. Uh, You know, so I'm sure at some point if they did shows like, you know, Royal and some of the others that you have to have, you know, reserve, you know, reservations for, you could probably you know, do it on, on the medallion, on the app and things like that. They really pushed um, this deal where you could tap it. If you're like on a signboard, you know, throughout the ship and, you know, show you where you're at or where you want to go. They really were pushing on some of these doing this gaming stuff, gaming, i.e. gambling, you know, away from the casino, (laughs) you know, ways they certainly weren't short of ways of trying to part you from your, your, you know, your uh, money. Yeah. Well, the other question I wonder about with that is if they can track you with it, like, I wonder if there's some safety things that go with it. Like if somebody were to say fall overboard right, at night, especially, would that actually help them to locate a person? Like, would that be uh, like a safety thing or, or? I doubt it because I don't know. You'd have to be really close to the ship for it to still be act, you know, to ra- be able to the range is limited yeah. on it. range is fairly limited. Of course they use it like, you know, to check in for muster and things like that. Mm. So, you know, you gotta, oh, okay. you know, tap, 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 you know, they kind of scan you. Everybody has, you know, co- goes around with a, with a, a small device when they're, when they're checking people in and, and, you know, it did speed up getting embarkation was a breeze. I mean, I never stopped walking. You just like tap here and tap here. And of course, you know, I also got the pass because I was in a suite. So you just right. got the golden ticket and walked on. But it, you, you definitely got through embarkation and debarkation pretty darn fast. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to try one of those out. And, and I'm kind of curious to see how long it'll be before they're on all the different lines, all the different ships. And well, doesn't Disney have something like that on their cruises? I, I think they do. Yeah, I think they do. And I don't know if, I, I well, Disney has that in their theme parks too. So right, right. I have had a little bit of experience with that, uh, but it wasn't quite as functional, at least when I use it, as what you're explaining. But the one on the ship, the Disney ship might be now because it's been a few years since I used the one in the park. So, I well, mean, one thing I understood, cool. one thing I understand is it used to be when they first introduced it, you had several apps and they did like mm. late last year combine all these apps into the what they call medallion class and it's one app and it has 
you know, you can swipe over to, you know, this app that does, you know, you can do activities and this app does that. It did run slow though. The, the activities app can, could be a little slow at times. And I don't know if it's just because there's just so many people using it or, right. or, or what, you know, it, but it was a couple of times like, I just want to know what time, you know, <laughs> what time does this thing start in the theater? You know, where's, where's trivia? Are we going to be in club fusion? Are we back in the explorers lounge? You know, important things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Mary, thank you so much for coming back on and solving some of these mysteries of the, of the medallion on the Princess Cruise. Well, that was an interesting interview and always good to hear about new technology in the cruising industry. Now, it is cool, and uh, hopefully someday we will experience that, go on a Princess Cruise. But for right now, we want to focus on what we know about, which is the some of the perks that you can get on Royal Caribbean and Carnival. What we're talking about is faster to the fun and the key. Now, I have experienced both of these things. Kimbra has experienced only the key, even though she's been on Carnival Cruises. So we can kind of speak to those a little bit. I know we've talked about them a little bit in some of the other episodes recently, but we're going to give you our opinion today on whether we thought that the key was worth it. So let's start by saying this. Let's just do a real quick quick recap again on what the key is and what you get for it. So, Kimber, you want to tell us um, all about the key? Sure. So, some of the things that the key gets you is priority check-in and boarding on the first day, carry-on bag drop-off in the main dining room, so you can drop off your bags that you brought on with you and didn't check, and they'll bring them to your room later. Um, A welcome lunch at the main dining room with uh, the Chops Grill menu. Private hours of onboard activities like the rock climbing and the flow rider. Priority departure from uh, ports of call from ship to shore. So like the the tenders at like Grand Cayman. Um, Special seats um, or I guess seats in the exclusive VIP seating section of shows in the main theater. Uh, Voom, the internet, and on deparkation day, a breakfast and then a quick departure. Yeah, so that's a pretty good set of perks. More than you get with the Carnival's Faster the Fun. You get some of that. You get Faster the Fun. You get basically you get early embarkation onto the ship. You get early cruise shuttles, also known as tenders, onto islands that have those. And you get... Uh, priority disembarkation. Um, I think that's it. I may be forgetting something, but those are the big ones. Oh, uh, of course, guest services. You get to cut in line for guest services into the special line. That's maybe one of the best perks, actually. Uh, you don't you don't get that, I don't think, with Royal Caribbean. I don't know if they have a guest services line for the key, but you do get the internet, which is nice. The Voom worked really well on the ship that we were on. You get to get to those things. Like you said, the uh, rock climbing wall is all that was on our ship. But I know on other ships, those things can fill up. You have to wait in long lines to get to those. It'd be nice if Carnival included that with Faster to the Funds. You could get on like the Skyride on the Vista class ships and stuff like that. That You don't get the special seating with Faster to the Fun. I, I feel like Carnival sells more Faster to the Fun per ship than Royal Caribbean does 
the key. And I, and I, and I don't mean that like they're able to sell more. I mean, I think that they just set a higher number of people that can get it. I don't, I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but, uh, but that's why maybe they can't offer some of those same perks. And you do pay a little bit more for the key, although the price can fluctuate depending on your cruise, but you get the internet as well. So those are kind of the big, I think, differences between the two. Well, uh, the key is also a per person price yes, compared uh, to yes. Faster the Fun, right? Right, which can actually make Faster the Fun much more reasonable because if you have a cabin with five, six people in it, you still pay the price for the room not for each individual person where the key it's kind of like the drink package. You, you pay for it per person. I don't know if you have to buy it for everybody in your, you cabin. do. You do. Okay. Yes. You do. So it is like the drink package in that way. So it's a, that's kind of a downside to it. For example, we wanted to get the key, uh, but we didn't necessarily need to get the internet for both of us. We could have just shared one internet connection or just unplugged completely. And that would have been okay, but that wasn't really an option. And we're paying a higher price for that, which it's a service you're getting. So you're getting your, your dollar value there. It just may not be something that we would have gotten or needed had we not got the key. Right. So, um, I know you haven't done faster the fun. I would say that I I would when I'm on a cruise that has ports with tenders with shuttle crafts or whatever they're calling them water these days. shuttles water shuttles shuttle crafts are in Star Trek. <laughs> um, whenever I'm on one of those, I would say faster the fun is is worth it for me at least at the price point it's at now because I like to have that priority. I want to get to that island ASAP. Uh, if I'm not going to be on a cruise with that, then it becomes a little bit more of a iffy thing for me. Uh, do other people in the cabin want it? Are other people in my party going to get it? You know, those kind of things. If if other people in my party have it in other cabins and I don't, and then they get to get on board before I do, then I'm going to be crying some some tears. So uh, I, I would say that if I can afford it, I would probably always spend the extra money to get faster to the fun. We haven't got it on our October cruise. I don't know if we'll get it because it is not a cruise that has any tender ports. But uh, but if, if the other people want it, then I'll, I'll be in favor of getting it. If they don't want to spend the extra money, I'd be okay with that too. It's an eight night cruise. If I get on the cruise like a couple hours later, eh, whatever. I, you know, save 80 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, the key... I don't know. What, what what were your feelings on the key? If you went Royal Caribbean, would you do the key again? Would you let it unlock the fun, the benefits, the perks? Um, I actually really liked the key. I think the key thing for me was probably the <laughs> internet. I've never gotten internet before. And one of the biggest reasons that I was like, let's just get it and try it was the price with the internet. So like the internet was only three dollars more per day and i feel or three dollars it was a three dollar difference um so it was kind of like why if we're gonna get the internet because now we're we're doing all the vlogging and stuff or now i'm doing because you've always anyways (laughs) i might as well get all of the other perks too for a few dollars more so i like the key and if the internet is something that i'm always going to get I will probably continue to, to want to get the key. 
Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about the internet because I do like having it being, uh, having a social media presence with the podcast, with the YouTube channel. I like to be able to stay in touch with the cruising community. To be honest though, we didn't really do a whole lot with it on this cruise. I feel like if I wouldn't have had it on this cruise, wouldn't have been that big of a deal or if we just one of us would have had it, that would have been enough. Now that may actually be a little different when we are on that eight night cruise because those extra days, those extra nights, you know, we, we might be able to do couple live streams and just have more fun with it. And then, and then it might be worth it again, though, I think I'd be okay with just one of us having it and just switching back and forth our device so we could take turns logging in. Um, but I did enjoy the internet on this cruise and it was fast. And so eh, I, I would say if I had it to do over again, I would still do it. You know, like if it was like, well, it's either that or, or you you can't cruise or you don't, you know, if, if that was it, if it was that tight, if my budget was that tight, then I would be fine not getting the key. But if I had the extra money, I would say it's definitely worth the investment for the key. I agree. I also, I liked some of those extra meals. Like we didn't like go to the chops during the cruise itself, but getting the opportunity to try some of the food off of the chops menu was really cool. Yeah, and the a la carte, it was like a la carte menu for breakfast, a la carte menu for lunch that first day. It was nice and it was comfortable and we didn't have to fight in the buffet lines. And, you know, so that was definitely a perk. Now, the thing I will say about the key is it's it's a lot more variable than the faster to the fun is. Because I think faster to the fun is pretty much a set price. Uh, I don't know that it varies from ship to ship. I, I could be wrong on that. But with the key, it definitely varies on your ship fast of the fun will vary with your length of your cruise uh, but the key will vary on the ship that you're on and, and that makes sense because you are actually getting perks that are specific to certain ships like obviously if you're on an oasis class ship there's a lot more perks to take advantage of than if you're on a, a radiance class ship so that is reflected in the price of the key i i've heard a lot of mixed opinions on whether it's worth it or not I don't know. That's for everybody to decide individually, just like the drink package and and the internet package and all those other things. But we just wanted to give you our two cents to let you know what we thought of it. And, and I would say I would get the key again. I would try it again on a similar cruise. Absolutely. Me too. Well, we did a lot of diving and snorkeling on this last cruise. And of course I've done that a few times in my life, but for you, it's kind of a new experience. I mean, you've snorkeled really like we did on this cruise. Is that accurate? That is pretty accurate. Okay. So here's what I want to do because a lot of times people ask me they're, they're new to snorkeling or they're uh, relatively inexperienced snorkelers and they'll ask me a lot of questions about it and I can try and give them answers, but I've been snorkeling comfortably and diving for a long time. So sometimes it's, it's hard for me to kind of get into their flippers. I shouldn't say flippers. I should say fins. Shame on you, Matt. Matthew. Any, anyway, uh, so we wanted to spend a little time talking about what Kimbra learned on this cruise from her diving and snorkeling experiences. Let's start with the actual act of snorkeling itself. Uh, anything stand out to you as something that you learned on this? I'd say the biggest thing is probably if the snorkel goes underwater stop breathing that's a that's a good one yeah 
because you're not going to be able to do that at all. <laughs> yeah. So that that kind of happened to me mostly when when we first jumped in the water and you said there was a fish and I got excited and just went for it and forgot the snorkel was in my mouth. I thought you were scuba diving. <laughs> yeah. And that's snorkeling. Yeah. So I was really excited to see the fish and attempt a, a really shallow free dive. And I kept I kept breathing through the snorkel as if it was snorkeling and... <laughs> I swallowed a lot as of water. Snork as if it was snorkeling. <laughs> so one of the things that I hear people say about those full face snorkel masks, which we weren't using, is some people think you can breathe through those for a minute while you're underwater. You can't do that at all. And if with a normal snorkel, even if it's what's called a dry snorkel, which has a little valve in it that closes and keeps water out when you go underwater, there's not enough air in there to get oxygen out of. So you're not getting any extra air to breathe when you do that. You want to hold your breath. And what I always do is I put my tongue up to the top of my mouth. And that way, when I come back up to the surface and I exhale and blow that water out of my snorkel, um, I don't accidentally breathe any water into my windpipe. It might get in my mouth a little bit, but it's not going to choke me in my windpipe. So that's one thing you can do. Now, if you are actually free diving and really going underwater and holding your breath for a while, the best thing to do is actually take the snorkel out of your mouth completely because if you've got your mouth wrapped around a snorkel, then you're not able to hold in as much air. So you want to really get as much air into your lungs as you possibly can because the more air you can store in there, the longer you can stay underwater. So that's, that's what I would take away from that. Now, Speaking of having your mouth on the snorkel, you had some other experiences too, right? I did. So when diving in Grand Cayman, um, it was a lot of fun. But afterwards, my jaw hurt really, really bad. It's because you talk too much. Yeah, I talk too much while I'm underwater. <laughs> Just, kidding. Just kidding. No, what we, we looked into that because we found out what the problem was. Yeah, so apparently it, it's... It's actually kind of common with a lot of new divers or even experienced divers, but it's it's from clenching your teeth down too hard. So new divers, obviously, because it's kind of a new experience and you're not really necessarily comfortable or used to what you're doing. So I apparently clenched my teeth and my jaw hurt really bad. Imagine if you had something sort of soft in your mouth and you just bit down on it for... 45 minutes. It's just going to create some strain and stress on that muscle that you're not usually using that much. And it's, it's going to just ache just like any other muscle. If you, if you work out, you exercise a muscle after a point, it's going to get sore and it's going to ache. And that's what happened with you when we were diving. And then the next day we were in Cozumel and you were fine at first, but then it started to get a little achy. And I think that's because it, it was still kind of tender from the day before. That would be my guess. Yeah, I'm sure that was the case. Um, I don't think I was clenching down as much while snorkeling, but who knows? So if you have that happen to you, and it's called, what did you say it was called? TMJ? Um, so the, the joint that it happens to is TMJ. So it's tempomandibular joint, but the 
the pain that's associated with that is called TMD. So tympomandibular dysfunction. And all of that might be TMI, but it can <laughs> help you out because if you are experiencing this, just just be a little bit more aware of how much you're clenching down when you're snorkeling or scuba diving. And uh, if that still is causing problems, we have researched some possible fixes for it, which we're going to look into for Kimbra, which is basically just making sure you have a good mouthpiece on your snorkel or more importantly on your regulator when you dive. It's not as big of a problem, I think, for people snorkeling because you're not going to be constantly doing that for such an extended period of time. You're going to take breaks. You're going to only snorkel for however long you snorkel. Whereas when you dive, you're underwater for 30 minutes to an hour typically. And so you, and you're constantly putting that pressure on. So they do make some different types of, of mouthpieces you can get for regulators on, on diving gear. And, and some of them are even like the mouthpieces that athletes use where you can boil it in water and then it softens and you form it to your teeth. But I think a lot of it too is just being more comfortable and just being more aware of if you're doing that. So so that's pretty interesting. What else did you learn from this snorkeling and diving experience? So the other big thing that I think I learned is about filming underwater. So I, in general, haven't filmed that much, but being with you, now I'm doing that, which is a lot of fun and I really like it, but I've learned a lot about how to film underwater. So for example, make sure the camera is pointing in the right spot. There, <laughs> there were a few times um, that we rewatched the videos and I realized that my camera wasn't necessarily straight or where I thought it was pointing and I missed the shot. Now the stabilizer trays that you'll see in our in the videos, if you watch our videos, uh, those help with that, especially if you can get two hands on them. But uh, it, it is still tricky and it's one of those things that you know, you can read in the book, you can have somebody tell you that, but until you do it, you're probably not going to learn it completely until you learn it the hard way on your own. I still sometimes tend to shoot high with uh, with my camera underwater. That seems to be a, a common thing, I guess. I thought it was just me, but you had the same experience. Also make sure that your camera is mounted straight on your on your diving rig if you're if you're using some kind of rig to hold it on there uh, maybe even something we could try is to angle it down slightly so it kind of gives you that extra edge so those are those are good tips if you're videoing underwater even if you're up at the surface you know there were times that Kimber was trying to film me diving down and she missed a lot of it because she was aiming high and uh, that's a mistake that's easy to make and you can't usually see the screen. So you don't know what you're capturing until you've really used that camera and kind of have an understanding. And even then you may have to kind of train your brain to go, okay, I want to shoot this direction. So now I'm going to point it down two inches and now I'm actually getting what I think I'm getting. Yeah. The other, the other thing that came up is, and this was actually on the dive with the sharks that we did at the aquarium first is make sure your settings are right. So I was filming everything in narrow instead of wide. So everything that I thought that I was filming, I wasn't. Wide is good. And um, we've done a lot of research on underwater filming and trying to get optimal results. And honestly, we're still learning ourselves as far as that goes. You know, using red filters, not using red filters, doing post-production stuff. Should we film in 4K, 2.7K, 1080P. There's a lot of people that have opinions on that. And really what you have to do is just try it, 
experiment with it and find out what works for you. There's advantages and disadvantages to all of that. Another thing though, that I will say that when you're, when you're filming underwater, this is something I talk about a lot that I have learned through trial and error. And I still make this mistake way too often, even though I'm aware of it is when you're filming something like a, like a fish or anything, any subject underwater, however long you think you need to be on that subject, add another five to 10 seconds because you'd be surprised how fast you move off of a subject. So say I've got a a grouper that I'm trying to film and I've got the camera and I'm aiming it at it and I think, oh, this is good, this is perfect. And then I get back and I watch the footage and I'm like, man, I wish I would have stayed on that fish for another 10 seconds. So just do it. You can always clip the beginning and the end off. You can't go back and magically make it longer unless you slow it down with slow motion, which is another editing tip for underwater footage. I don't like to do it in most cases, cause I think it's kind of artificial, but, uh, but sometimes I do. Um, and, and it can work really well, especially if you're shooting at the enough high enough frame rate. But, um, but yeah, so just try and avoid it. Try and get the footage naturally if you can. And then if you slow it down, you can get maybe twice as much as that. So that's another thing that I would say that I've learned from this. And, and I think you had said, you noticed some of that too, right? Yes, that and, and just kind of moving how quickly you move the camera around. Um, I know that we have the stabilization trays. And then, of course, the, the GoPro Hero 8s have the new stabilization thing that which, it does. Which works really well. Yes, both of those are incredibly helpful, but they're only helpful if you, you know, move your hands that way as well. Right. Um, so so that was something that, that I've learned. So. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. There's a lot more to learn, but yeah. What are your tips for filming underwater or snorkeling or diving? I would love to hear feedback from you guys out there. Please send me emails, fantasticcruising at gmail.com so that we can find out what what your two cents is. There's a lot of things that uh, I may not think about, that Kimber may not think about, that uh, we can help you with or that you could help other people with. So send in those emails. Absolutely. All right, Matt, I think it's time to wrap things up and head for the horizon. But until next time, seize the day. Have a fantastic week, everybody. out there. Thanks for staying tuned in here. Uh, Kimba, I want to know what is your regret? Or what do you wish we would have, or you would have filmed more of, or just that you missed completely anything? I think the one thing I wish I would have gotten on film would have been the eel, the spotted moray that you went down to see. I saw it from the top and I thought I was filming it. My camera was too high so I missed all of it on film. Luckily, I saw it in person, but I wish I would have seen it on film so I could watch it again. It's got what eels you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I would have actually went back down and I, I was just a little, I was having a hard time holding my breath that day because I had some congestion and uh, and then that current was wicked that, nasty. And That I was, current was real rough. Especially in the morning. And, and so I, I knew that, I, I well, I, I figured it was it was probably 
given you quite a bit of a workout up there on the surface. And so I didn't want to stay over there too long because it was just pushing us further out of the swimming area. But yeah, I can agree with that. You know what I wish we would have gotten more footage of on this? Of us. Because we got you, you actually got the best footage of us when you did like sort of selfie stick style with the with the GoPro and you've got yeah. me swimming in the background, you in the foreground, made for a really cool screen capture from that. But uh, man, I wish we would have done more of that. I wish we would have given one of our cameras to the dive master and had her film us for a, for a second or two. Like that's something that I want to definitely get in the future because that was a really good image and I really enjoyed that. So that's I agree. My thing. I agree with that. I actually forgot like that, that, time that i turned the camera around was right at the end of the dive right and i forgot that i could do that like <laughs> like my focus was ooh, see this fish and ooh, see that fish i forgot that i could turn the camera around and see myself i figured you just liked eels more than me i mean no i like you the most <laughs>